Welcome to the Voices of Women Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Tatiana Resnik, a practicing physician and a certified life coach. You will hear about inspirational journeys and practical tips from amazing women physician experts, as well as effective coaching tools and steps to joyful success. This is the second episode of our interview with Dr. Michelle Chodorada. Welcome, everyone. Now we will speak about utilization management. And last week's episode was about publishing a picture book for children. So please listen. Welcome. Hi, thanks again for having me. Please tell us briefly a little bit about yourself in case if any listeners who are listening to us today did not hear previous episode. Sure. Yeah, so I'm a pediatric gastroenterologist by training. And I had kind of mentioned in the last episode that I was following this narrow path to medicine and med school and training. And it's a long road and it's a very narrow path. And so I never really looked outside of medicine. I was about eight years into practice when I made some major changes in my life, one of them being transitioning out of practice from being an attending pediatric gastroenterologist to a medical director at a utilization management company. So that was a big shift. And that's basically the journey leading up to it, I would say. Thank you so much. Please tell us a little bit, how did you decide to transition? It is a big decision and a lot of training involved. Pediatric gastroenterologist, it's a lot of training. So how did the decision came along and what were the first steps in moving in this direction? Yeah, so it was not a rash decision. It's something that took years actually to make happen. So it sounds very cliche, but once I had kids, my priorities shifted. And when I had my son, it was the first time that I had considered leaving practice. But at the time, you put so much time and energy to getting to where you are as an attending. And I was still fairly early in my career. So I couldn't really emotionally process leaving at that time. I had thought about it. The other piece of that was that my husband and I had talked about moving. And so that was another thing where I had thought that, well, if ever I decide to leave practice and take a position in UM, it's a remote job. So that might allow us to move. But when I first had that thought, I was not ready to leave practice. Fast forward two years, I had my second child. And I would say in hindsight, a couple circumstances, like minor health scares that I think just made me realize that I needed to prioritize myself and my family a little bit. I think when you're in medicine, you're just so trained to work hard and put other people first, put your patients first and put your practice first. And that's what my mentality was. And so I think after a couple of years into that initial thought, I finally was ready to make that transition. And what had happened was when my son was first born and I thought about EUM for the first time, I was on these non-clinical career, like different groups. And I had seen that there was a job opening for a gastroenterologist at the current company that I'm at. And so I had reached out to the person that had posted that and just asked some questions about the job and the position and what it was like. And then I chickened out of applying because like I said, I wasn't ready. And so then two years later, we were more serious about moving and I had made more clear realizations of wanting to change my work situation. I reached out to that person again and there happened to be another job opening at that time. And so then I applied and then things happened pretty quickly from there. So yeah, it was like a two-year process for me to even process wanting to leave practice. And so that's how that came about. I see. And how people normally found the first job in UM? 
That's a good question. I mean, I can tell you how I found it. So because I had a couple of years to process this, I had my feelers out on what kind of jobs and opportunities were available. And so, like I said, on these non-clinical job post groups, people would have discussions about this type of remote work and UM or expert witness or different types of non-clinical jobs. And I just started to keep a list. Like I literally wrote down the names of companies that would come up over and over again because I knew that I might look into it in the future. And I especially took note of companies where people had positive things to say in terms of working there and what the environment was like. And so what was really helpful for me also was when I spoke to the person that worked there because I had my hesitations about this kind of work. And I remember what it was like being on the other side in practice, having to do a peer-to-peer and just having a very contentious mindset about it. And it wasn't like a positive experience. And so the thought of potentially having to be on the other side of that, I needed to get some questions answered. And so one of the first questions I asked was if there was any incentive to deny, because I think that's a common misconception and there absolutely is not. And so that was really important for me, just like ethically, I wouldn't have been able to take a position where that's the case. And so just kind of asked like what a typical day was like and the kind of work that they were doing and what the culture of the workplace is and things like that. And so I think over time, it allowed me to mentally prepare. I see. Thank you for answering it. And how people prepare for such jobs? Is there any special certification or some sort of training or something else required for people to be able to get hired, to be more attractive as a candidate for being hired? I can tell you what the requirements are. So this is pretty general across the board, I would say, is you have to have at least one active state license. You need to be board certified and you need at least five years of clinical experience in practice post-training. And so that's pretty general across the board for most UM type of positions. There's opportunities for different specialties, subspecialties, at least in our company, the needs for that cycle in terms of when there's needs for one specialty versus another. In terms of preparing for it, I personally didn't really prepare anything for it, but I know that some people will do some heart review for practice just to get a sense of they think that they might or might not like it. There's that C conference that I've heard, which is like a non-clinical careers conference that some people go there and talk to people there and get other people's experience or make connections that way. So that's an option as well. But yeah, I mean, in terms of preparation, I personally didn't do anything. So I don't know that I am the right person to ask about that. So so don't require any specific like certificate? No. No, I mean, if you are going to take a position like this, at least where I am, you get all the training that you need when you start. And so I don't know if there's other companies where you need some sort of certification. I've not heard of that. I see. And what is the schedule and lifestyle looks like since a remote position, how it looks like? Yeah, so it's 100% remote and the schedule is pretty flexible. I would say it was one of the biggest draws for me in terms of leaving practice too with the little kids and just trying to balance work and family life and things like that. So it's a pretty regular schedule. It's a mix of doing some written case reviews on the computer as well as doing some peer-to-peers. I'm involved in some committees as well. So we have meetings throughout the day and I'm involved in orientation and training for a new gastroenterology medical directors that are coming on. And so it's a mix of different things and it's actually been very good. I love it. It's freed up a lot of time and mental energy as well. I think that's the one part I didn't realize when I left practice was how much more mental energy I would have. And that's allowed me to do stuff like work on the book and build on my platform and things like that. So that's been a huge blessing. And of course, being able to be around for my kids more and with their school activities and things like that. 
I see. And what lessons had you learned in this process and what mistakes to avoid? What would you recommend? In terms of lessons, one of the biggest things I learned was to think outside the box. And I think when you spend so much of your life, I mean, more than half of my current life I spent in school, right? And a large part of that was training to be a doctor. And so it took a lot of mindset work to get past that belief that that's all I could do and not to get stuck in that just because I spent so much time on it. I had to realize that I can assume new identities from the one I have and I can be other things than just being a doctor. I can be an author. I can be an entrepreneur and be a medical director. And these are all things that I think I've learned over the past couple of years. But yeah, I mean, I think leaving practice to go into something like this, there was a bit of a grieving process in leaving practice just because I was shedding an identity that I had held on to for so long. But with that said, I think on the other side of it, I'm so much happier. And so I would say that's one big lesson I learned was being able to shift my mindset and assume a new identity and think outside the box. This is difficult one. Expansion identity and new roles, absolutely. Anything else you would like to add about jobs in UM that would be helpful for physicians who are considering this role? I mean, I would just say if that's something that people are interested in, to look around and see what companies are offering those types of roles. If you can make a connection with people in the company or people that are doing that type of work, that was really helpful for me just to be able to ask some questions and get an inside look on what a typical day is like and what that company's culture is like, because that makes a big difference. And then I think remote work, especially since the pandemic, has just been very competitive. And so I would say to be persistent too. It seems like a lot of people are looking for remote type of work more recently. And so I think you just have to make connections and keep trying. Connections are important, yes. And resume instead of CV, like different format, probably. I don't remember that I made any different type of CV. I mean, it's not like an academic CV where you're listing all your publications and things like that. More concise. Yeah. That's very helpful. And now let's talk about utilization management from a point of practicing physicians who want to get stuff approved. Is there anything physicians can do to increase chances of getting approval by insurances in general? So I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that what we do is just wanting to deny everything and that there's the incentive to deny. And like I said, that was one of the conditions for me that would have been a deal breaker if that was the case. And I think what doctors and even patients don't realize is that the majority of the times when we're reviewing cases, so utilization management, we look at the appropriateness and the medical necessity of different procedures or radiology studies. And honestly, the majority of the time, we just don't get all the information. And I think that that's one of the biggest things is aside, obviously, from documentation, I would say if they can just do their best to make sure all the relevant clinical notes are being submitted. Many times there's somebody working in the office doing pre-auths and the doctor's not even aware of what's being sent over. But many times we get just like a clinical summary note or like an order sheet or there's no clinical information on there. And then it gets denied because we don't have the information. And that's always, I would say, the difficult part of the job because I see the inefficiency there and the back and forth of the case getting denied and then the doctor thinks everything's been submitted but we're denying based on the case when we don't have the case and sometimes I hate that that delays the care of the patient and that's obviously not what we want and so that's one of the biggest misconceptions is at least within my group I'm in the GI group we're all very much pro-clinician because we've all practiced and we really do our best to try to help and even on the peer-to-peers I would say it's not helpful when somebody's getting upset or defensive for the most part I have to say it's been very pleasant and so that I'm very 
very thankful for. I mean, I think most people see that we're trying to help. But yeah, I mean, in order to get things approved, I would say documentation, make sure all the information's there and be kind. (laughs) (laughs) Be kind is always good, right? And what three tips for physicians considering transition to UM would you recommend? Any additional tips? I mean, I think I mentioned the ones before and it would just really be look into the different opportunities across the board with different companies. And even like in LinkedIn, I think that's a resource that a lot of people use to find people within certain companies too. So if you can make a connection that way, again, being persistent and looking into those things. So LinkedIn, would you just found someone in this company and just message them like, hi, I'm interested? I mean, it doesn't hurt. The worst I can say is no. <laughs> it's perfect. And for our listeners who would like to connect with you, what's the best way to connect? Yeah. So I mentioned on the previous one that was more related to the book, but that's where my contact information is, is on the website, which is www.brightfuturesedg.com. And then my email is on there as well. So it's info at brightfuturesedg.com. I'm also on LinkedIn as well. So you can find me there. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming here today and for sharing all the helpful tips and sharing your journey. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed it or found it helpful, please subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share it with a friend. Have any topics you'd like covered? Send me an email at joyfulsuccessliving at gmail.com. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram to connect at joyfulsuccessliving. Have an amazing week. See you next time. The Voices of Women Physicians podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not provide any medical, financial, tax, legal, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own well-being, decisions, and results. Dr. Resnik is a practicing physician, but Voices of Women Physicians podcast is not reflective of the opinion of her employer. You should always contact professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.